Hello and welcome. I am your host, Tanil Christensen from Earth Mama, where I teach people to get skilled in sustainability. This is the permaculture herbalism segment brought to you by the Elder Tree, where we are putting the medicine in the hands of people. Thank you for tuning in. I'm recording from my studio in Jabakai land of Karanda, Australia. And I'm going to give my respects today and always to the First Nations people, past, present and future, and offer my gratitude for the opportunities to learn their ancient wisdom in our modern world, bridging time and culture so we may all thrive. This segment is all about merging the world of permaculture and herbalism. So the art and science of ecological design and plant wisdom or plant medicine so that we can cultivate healthy landscapes and people. If you want to be involved, you can be part of the Elder Tree Trove, which is our Patreon community. Stay tuned to this episode for more information. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. If we would open our ears, what would we hear? Welcome and hello. Happy New Year and first quarter moon for 2024. This episode is going to be very different to my other ones because I'm not actually interviewing anybody today. What I would love to do is to share sociocracy and dynamic decision-making basics with you. And this idea was born from a recent workshop that the Elder Tree facilitator organized for our network in far north Queensland, Australia. And I gratefully uh, facilitated it. And we had such a wonderful uh, and magical experience within the 30 odd people who attended. And so this I thought would be a great, you know, there's a lot of interest in it and there's a lot of unknowns around it. So I thought I would take this opportunity to speak to this episode and just give some more clarity and to share with our wider network of listeners about this uh, governance system and decision-making system that we are excited about here at the Elder Tree. Uh, So I'm going to go into what it is and explain so much about it in the sense of how it works, who it's for, um, the different elements um, that that sort of bring it together into a process. Uh, So stay tuned for that. But first, I'll just start with uh, my experience. I have done some training and that is with the Sociocracy Consulting Group. So I initially did a six-week online course around the basics of sociocracy, which I found very, very inspiring. And then later I did another six-week online program and this is with people from all around the world and uh and that was to be certified as a facilitator a facilitator so i really want to acknowledge that that's where my initial training came from um but prior to that i brought um a wonderful friend who is in the permaculture realm uh 
into far north Queensland and uh, we did an in-person weekend doing the foundations and some practices together of sociocracy and that was with Erin Young. So you may have listened into that episode around sustainable funerals and sociocracy with Erin Young. If you haven't listened then that's a great episode to jump onto next. So that really was when I started delving into permaculture and if you listened into my first ever introduction to this segment, I go into the different domains of permaculture and land stewardship is one aspect. So yes, we can design uh, landscapes to meet our needs and work with ecology, um, provide for our food, fiber and medicine in a harmonious way that works with nature rather than against her. and that sort of framework, all of the principles that we use as these uh, strategies and decision-making tools to get from an idea or a need to producing something of value that is caring for the earth, caring for the people and ensuring that there's a share of surplus. And so those um, values or ethics of uh, earth care, people care, fair share, that's the ultimate goal. So we've got these principles that are our way of, um, you know, ticking the box and making sure that they're guiding principles that help us find the local techniques and solutions to be able to reach that goal, no matter what we're doing. So whether it's designing our landscape or designing our internal landscape, which you might do in terms of personal, um, you know, personal development or applying to education, which we do in our Nature Kids program, um, you could be utilizing these principles for designing um, financial systems like local lets or um, energy trading systems within communities or CSA, which community supported agriculture projects. Um, there, there's so many different options out there. So this is the social permaculture realm and a way that we can design or utilize these um, this framework for governance, for people working in groups together. And so I'm going to work from the notes that I get provided at my handout um, as a handout within the, the workshop. And of course, you can always connect, listen into this episode, but feel free to send me a message or connect if you're interested in attending future events. Wonderful. We'd love to have you on board and be part of it. Uh, there's also an opportunity for nonviolent communication uh, workshop coming up on the 9th and the 10th or the 10th and 11th of February as well. So stay tuned for that. But I'm really excited by, uh, you know, the social side of permaculture. And so sociocracy just made so much sense to me when I looked into it and started practicing it. So what is it? Well, let's break down the word with permaculture. We've got permanent and cultural, which is like agriculture. So we, we combine those two groups together, two words together, it formed permaculture. And so sociocracy Socius means associates, though when we go back to the, the root sort of Latin word or meaning behind it, which is um, people with a social relationship. 
And ocracy is the word that means to govern. So combined, it's people with a social relationship who are governing. And so this is a governing framework that, you know, has the values or the outcome of equality, effectiveness, and transparency in decision making, which I strongly feel is you know, it's it's kind of a new paradigm in the way we can organize. I mean, it makes sense, but not all companies or um, big organizations work in, in this way or have these ultimate outcomes. So what it does is sociocracy enables an organization to manage itself in an organic whole by giving every part of the organization a consent-based voice in the feedback system of the entire organization. So what that means is there's uh, there's a design in the organizational structure that means the people who are in the operations, on the ground, producing the work, getting stuff done, making it happen, they also have an equal voice in decisions when it comes to things that affect them right up to where the CEO is. So there is a way, there's specific meetings that allow, that are run very efficiently, that allow for voices to be heard, especially in places where it is something that they would actually have um authorization or they have um they have an understanding of that decision because they're the ones actually doing it they're the ones on the ground you know this whole thing where decisions are made from the top up and they have no connection or understanding as to what's happening on the ground this is a way that um this is a system where it's designed in in the meetings process So, in short, sociocracy is a governance system for organising work and making effective decisions that guide the work done. Uh, And it's known as peer-to-peer. So, socius is Latin for companion or people who have a social relationship who regularly interact with one another with common aims. Common aims being a very important aspect of this, which I'll also go through. And decisions are made in consultation with each other. So there's in consideration of the needs of each person in the context of aims or maybe the group, the business or the organization. It may also be within your family as well. So I certainly, we certainly use um, sociocracy in decision making as much as we can in our family too. All right. So. It's a whole systems approach to, as I said, decision-making, governance, and also action and implementation. So instead of that organizational design where you see the pyramid of the top down, this is more of a circular org chart, organization chart, um, or project management system. And it really relies on the framework or the thinking of lead, do, and measure. So it comes from an engineering background and I'll touch a bit on the history and how, you know, how it was actually formed and the people who carried this through to make it available for all of us today and the evolution of it as well. So I'll list a group, uh, a few different books that are really valuable resources to uh, get further information for if you are wanting to sort of step into this journey. 
So the values of sociocracy, I mentioned before equality or equivalence, effectiveness and transparency. So let's just backtrack a little bit before I break those down and and why those are actually really core aspects of it. Um, So we discussed what sociocracy means and to put it short, if you need to sort of see it in a more simple form is that it means for the people, by the people. So I mentioned peer-to-peer decision-making. And the onus or the the big picture um, idea around it is that the whole, meaning the group, is greater than the sum of the parts. And so it's a governance system with processes and methods of dynamic decision-making to make collaborating with other people um, valuable. So the ultimate goal of the decision that needs to be made, it is understood that each person within the group who is clear on the aims and is there because they are 100% committed to the aims and the group that they have perspectives that are valuable to forming the ultimate solution or the decision. And so I will talk more into the aspects of consent versus consensus and how that is utilised in the decision-making. But when it comes to, well, I've mentioned the words dynamic decision-making a few times as well. And so there is certainly a process when you sit down and have a meeting with a group of people. You'll have your agenda, you'll have problems to solve or decisions to make to, to move forward to you know, carry out work or to maybe vision or create something anew. And so the dynamic decision-making decision aspect is really a creative way and there's a whole heap of amazing tools that can be used to work with people instead of just having somebody standing at the front and sort of dictating or just like the talk and um, talk um, format that we probably have all experienced and kind of zone out of when we attend meetings that aren't run successfully or if we go to educational opportunities and we're just spoken to the whole time. So that is something that I learned with Robin Clayfield. And again, that's another wonderful episode if you want to catch that um, Robin Clayfield episode. And we touch on dynamic decision-making and her work in that field there as well. So dynamic is in motion with the ability to change, whereas static is unable to change. Those are fundamental intentions that we are actually a dynamic group and that we're working towards change and improvement and innovation as opposed to being static, which I think if you're like me, that is quite boring. Um, So... I um, I may go through the at the end of this episode some of the decision dynamic decision making processes that I used in both the Elder Tree fundraiser. I did a one hour workshop that we kind of worked through how a group can come together and utilize tools for uh, examples like creating an intentional community um, that are really 
utilizing everyone's perspective. And so um, I'll just give you like the behind the scenes um, look into the the session plan or the schedule that I use so that I could present this information and also um, teach aspects of the decision-making. For example, I used, um, I brought in Edward de Bono six hats, um, which is a demonstration of the different perspectives and elements that you can, um, that you want within the group to really value the differences within people. But instead of just telling them about it, we used the different colored hats and we stood in different areas. And so I'll jump back to that um, in a little bit, just to really explain each of those processes one by one. So let's get into the elements of sociocracy, values, group agreements, knowing how we want to uh, relate and work with the group so that it is safe, so that we are having fun, so that we have momentum and we're moving forward and we feel heard and we have an opportunity to speak equally. These are um, the foundations and really um, embedded aspects of sociocracy, which has, you know, a whole process of coming to a meeting and how that's carried out and consent making and how that process is carried out. So it's there's a lot of like structure um, and a framework around it to really support people uh, because at the end of the day there's a new language and there is a new way of relating and carrying out um, these collaboration um, activities with each other. So we all as a group need to learn how to do that alongside each other. So I find sociocracy is really helpful in the way that it packages um, how to do it. So the values, if you are in a relationship with somebody or starting a relationship, it's always great to have this conversation around what your values are and that may be coming right back to zone zero zero if you haven't identified within yourself and done that self-learning or development to know what your needs are and what you value that might be somewhere to start before you step into a relationship with somebody else if you're starting a community land share or a um, eco community or some sort of project or a business with other people, values, putting it down and being super clear with each other what your values are, are so important. So in terms of sociocracy, the values are equivalence, effectiveness, and transparency. So let's go through them. Equivalence means that individuals, so each person, function as peers in deciding how to accomplish their collective aims. So I'm not sure about you, but I have found myself in many community groups, um, not-for-profit organizations, where I actually had no real idea of what the mission or the aim or the values of that organization was. It was just never communicated. And so this is a huge part of sociocracy is that as a group, as a business, as an organization, you get clear on what the vision is and what those what those aims are, what you're carrying out, what you're there to do. And that is 
really revisited and embedded, reminded each, you know, each time you have a meeting, it's like at the center, it's at the core of everything. The purpose is known because any of the decision making when it comes to consent or objections has to be related to the aims and whether those decisions are actually going to help those aims happen or they're going to prevent the aim happening. And so that would be a valuable objection because then as a group you can sort of figure out how to um, problem solve and get to a place of reaching that aim uh, together. So effectiveness. So this is um, a focusing on the policies and the actions that accomplish the effect, uh, the collective aims. Uh, it has embedded continual self-improvement. So there's a feedback system within the meetings of, of actually taking time to provide feedback and setting timelines to revisit decisions that are made and designing for action so that lead, be, do um, that we spoke of before measure lead do measure and then transparency so direct access to all policy documents and records that are relating to one's work so no secrets no you know like missing and trying to understand what's going on behind the scenes if you are part of the activity if you're doing the work if you're showing up to these meetings and you have access um, to how things are progressing and you have you know, I guess a level of buying and equality as to the direction of um, the project. Um, so this is this supports that initial value of equivalence and also effectiveness, and it brings in the responsibility of co-leadership. So peer-to-peer co-leadership. Um, so you can see how there that equivalence, effectiveness, and transparency all actually are quite related to one another. Um, one another. So you might ask, well, what's in it for me? Well, here's some reasons. Sociocracy draws on the collective intelligence of the group. So it's a different way of thinking. It's not just about each individual coming and showing up to get the job done. It is about honouring that space in between where Yes, I am one person, but our communication, our just our ideas, our working through different concepts, our brainstorming, our um, objections, our different perspectives of those De Bono Seven thinking hats. Um, these, this is the collective intelligence, and so that is really highly valued. Uh, And it also creates a coherent collection of principle-based patterns known as a framework for collaboration, which helps us to navigate any complexities and to be able to adapt and evolve as a person, as a group getting stronger through and understanding and knowing each other better through the processes that sociocracy offers in terms of meetings and decision making and getting work done. Uh, So it supports people to incrementally process available information to improve work processes, improve products, improve services and improve skills continuously. 
So when I say it supports people to incrementally process available information, this is, this is an important part because let's go to decision making. When somebody asks you a question on the spot and you are required to give a yes or no answer or a, an approval or disagreement, it's a lot of the times we might we, we are making decisions on information that we don't actually have full understanding of. So the way that the meetings are held are through rounds, and I will go into that in more detail in a moment. But these rounds basically put forward a proposal that allows for the information needed to make a sound and effective decision that it is unraveled within the group. So remember, each person has a different perspective. So there might be a proposal put forward that we, as an example, I pro- we propose that sociocracy is the governance and decision-making system that we utilise as um, the elder tree organisation. And so within everybody in that group, instead of going, okay, so does everybody agree? And going around to, in our case, there was 30-odd people in the group, everybody saying yes or no. What's invited in the first round is clarity. So the first round is always about getting clarity on what the proposal is. So each person may choose to ask a question so that they understand what it is they're saying yes or no to. There might be people within the group that actually don't even understand what sociocracy is and how and why they would actually consent or give their permission to commit to bringing this into an organization. So if you can imagine, you go around in a circle, one person after the other, you could go clockwise or anti-clockwise, and in this round, the facilitator is just taking the questions. No answers are being given. It's just an opportunity to collect the data or the questions, and as it progresses around the circle, if the question's already been asked by somebody who's thinking the same as the other as you, you don't ask the question because you get used to you wanting to move along quickly. So if there's no reason to speak, you pass because your question is going to be answered even though another person has asked it. So you go around the whole circle of the questions are collected, then the facilitator or the person proposing this um, idea, they answer the question. And so this gives a really rounded opportunity from everybody who has um, questions. It all becomes, it all gets answered as best as it can. And then another round is offered to give people an opportunity if they have further questions to have them answered. So if you could imagine, it's like beginning with a a ball of yarn and we're having to unravel this yarn before we can put together and knit this, you know, this jumper or this product that is needed by everybody. And so the unraveling is the questions and the and getting clarity and, you know, forming this bigger picture of of, okay, well, what is what are we actually agreeing to before making this decision? And so then 
the final round is about consent and getting if there is any objections to the proposal of implementing sociocracy for the group as an example then objections are welcomed and the person who provides the objection they have to give a reason why so it has to it has to relate back to the aim of the organization. So if you imagine if you haven't done your vision first and you haven't got clear on what your aims are, <clears throat> then it's very hard to um, to point uh, or make a pointed or a good argument for what of the objection and things can go sideways. People will have all sorts of random ideas or um, you know thinking really beyond what is applicable to the actual aim of the group. So that, again, the consent versus um, consensus and, you know, the round process is something I'll share in a little bit as we travel through um, this list of reasons why why sociocracy might be for you. Um, okay, so we just touched on, you know, the the capacity to process available information through the meeting process of using rounds okay what else it also helps with organizations to make the best use of the talent that is already present um, so the talent of the people the skill sets of the people there and to grow a flexible organization uh, that allows people to align to the flow of value. So what that means is you've got you've got talent within the group and the way that each of the different domains or the organizational structure happens is that you've got people who have the capacity um, to deliver the service or the product on the ground and then you've got decision makers who are doing other, you know, that maybe the steering committee or the um, CEOs or you know the the organize the people who are doing um, funding or marketing or the different aspects of an organization. So in its design, you have um, you know we talk about this hierarchy into a more circular organization. It doesn't mean that there aren't people who have. Um, who are delegated hierarchy. What it means is that the people who are operations leaders or people who are taking leadership within those groups are skilled for it. But the way in which sociocracy holds the meetings, it enables the skills to be shared more and for the the value of each um, operational leader and the shared responsibility and co-leadership within everybody else, it um, it improves. I guess it, what it does is it helps the individuals within the group all build their skills because they're hearing the trials and the challenges and the insights and the perspectives of the operation leaders as well. And so even when it comes to electing um, people for specific roles. Um, there's a process for writing the job description and what's required, and a, a time for measuring outcomes and feedback. And so, um, the 
the non-operational leaders have an opportunity to provide constant feedback to the leaders within the group who are elected for those specific roles at certain times, um, which may be actually missing from many other organisations. How many CEOs get to have feedback from other people in their organisation? And so it also provides an organic, interactive approach um, to change. So it meets organisations where they are and helps them move forward at their own pace according to their unique context and needs. So that means you don't have to just jump into, go from where you are now within an organisation or a group and then become a complete sociocracy, um, you know, embracing all aspects of sociocracy straight away. there you can learn it in chunks and just begin perhaps with um, holding meetings in a sociocratic way where you're including the rounds, having check-ins and doing um, feedback at the end so that, you know, you can implement aspects of it as you need it and then, you know, roll it out over a period of time as the group is learning how to do these things together. Um, and this part is actually really, really important. So it facilitates the development of strategies that are good enough for now and safe enough to try. So let's go, I'll repeat that. When it comes to consenting, so we're, we've got this proposal and all of a sudden we've, well, not all of a sudden, throughout a few rounds, we've um, unpacked it. We have asked our questions, we have received answers, we now have more clarity on what it is that we're agreeing to, we've been asked if there are any objections and if somebody does have an objection, we can, instead of um, being stalemated or, or stuck with the consensus model of everybody having to agree, we have this strategy of good enough for now, safe enough to try. So is this decision actually going to help us move in the um, the direction of meeting our aims? Can we say that it's good enough for now and safe enough to try and then we can revisit and maybe pivot or come up with a better solution? But we're not stuck. We're not static. We've got some dynamic action happening. Um, And really importantly, it fosters accountability and a sense of engagement. So I know like for me, sitting in a group and having people talk over the top of each other, the loudest people always speaking, the quiet people never having an opportunity to be heard, that frustrates me so much. And so this in its design with the rounds, there is an expectation that everybody participates and you can pass if you don't have anything to add or you don't have questions or somebody else has spoken the same thoughts that you have because that helps the meetings move faster. But what it does is it always gives an equal moment for each person to participate and put in their um, ideas and to also in that final round of consent to share any objections or give their consent to moving forward, not just some people making the decisions. So it is a really engaging process. 
Um, and it's a transformational mechanism for both individuals and the organization as a whole. So we are, you know, in the process, in the experience of practicing this way of relating as an individual, we are having an opportunity to develop our way of communicating, our way of engaging, our way of thinking and having our perspective um, shared, sharing our perspective and um, being heard. It can be a very, very healing and empowering experience to actually be heard, especially when it comes to a project or an organization where you are collaborating, you are committing, you are bringing your energy into something that is larger than yourself and putting your life force into it. So to have, to be working alongside a group of people that have a genuine interest to know what your perspective is or to workshop around solutions or challenges that you have relating to any decisions is a really valuable way to grow as a person, but also, um, you know, with your peers and as an organization um, growing as a whole. So it's very useful for startups, for small and medium businesses who want to scale, for large intentional communities, um, networked organizations. You can use it in families investor-funded organizations. And I particularly, I feel like, you know, in my line of work with permaculture, I constantly come into this conversation with people who share with me their vision of living in an eco-community. Like it's such a big conversation and um, I just don't see it happening so much, like especially in the far north Queensland area, we don't have a whole lot of examples of successful um, land share or land trusts or shared communities on a larger scale where there's systems in place, there's an overall um, sustainable landscape design, people are growing their food, people are socially working and living harmoniously with each other. And so I just think this is a really wonderful tool for communities to um, to set as their organization as their um, governance. And then when it comes to the very beginning aspects of beginning an intentional community in what we spoke of, what I mentioned before of the fundamentals of setting what setting your values together setting your group agreements, understanding what your needs, what are your goals as individuals and as a a group on the land or for whatever your venture is. And so, again, you know, these are great questions, but how many times have you been in these conversations and everyone are just yelling their ideas over the table (laughs) and then nothing is documented and the next time people come together, I have just seen this so many times and it frustrates me a lot. So this is, I think, a really valuable um, solution to it. And I think people can really lean into it. So there are some a wonderful um, open source free resources and guides. Um, Sociocracy 3.0. I'll put some links in the show notes below. Um, um, and you could always become a member or a volunteer of uh, the um, of what we're creating here with the elder tree um, and continue the journey in a real world context 
of a healing sanctuary and herbal education center in far north Queensland. Okay, so in a nutshell, let's just bring all of that back. Who's it for? It's for people who want to work effectively in groups to reach their collective goals and are willing to commit to the facilitated process to access all perspectives in collaboration so they can move forward with a shared vision and make the best possible decisions with shared responsibility. This might not be for everybody. And I can see that with this shared equality, with the um, with the design of how these meetings are functional and how the process works is that there is no space in this for narcissists. So it's, it's going to be, you know, it requires work and it requires a commitment for people. I just going back to that willing people who are willing to commit to the facilitated process to access all perspectives perspectives in collaboration initially it may take more time than other meetings that you may have attended or how other groups run if it's more of a top-down or a dictatorship um, hierarchical system however once the group becomes tuned in and everybody knows how to play the game or play you know work within the process it's actually fun and really engaging and the perspectives actually bring forward a lot of magic and different ideas and thoughts that we can't necessarily all carry on our own because we have our own blind spots and and many like we all kind of have our main way of um of working the way we see the world and so with the example of Edward de Bono's six thinking hats when we start with that and we and we know that our perspective is one of six then we and we have the experience of getting to some through some complex ideas problems or um, proposals and working through that ball of yarn and coming to a place of unraveling it, unpacking it, and then putting it back together as a group, as a collective, with all those perspectives and ideas and solutions, and the magic happens, it's actually an incredible feeling. And so it's it may take a little bit, as with everything, when you're learning something new, but it is really valuable when you get through the end and become, um, as I said, in tune with each other as a group. Who it isn't for. It's not for people who want to talk all the time or not at all who have, or not people at all who have no interest in the whole group being heard or being part, you know, sharing into the decision making. So dictators or those who prefer an authoritarian way of being. Um, Again, equivalence, effectiveness and transparency are those main values. And, um, you know, just in summary, the group or the organisation must be clear about what the aims are for that group or project and how and also for the gathering of meetings and proposals Um, People need to know what, you know, to have an idea of what the agenda is and how to reach the outcome in alignment with the project aim. And that just takes, you know, some time and practice with one another to do it. 
So when it comes to decision-making, I mentioned consent and consensus a few times just before. And so let's really unpack that because it, um, it can really freak people out. And when we're used to a, you know, our society, which is very much about majority vote. And even if, you know, 49% of the population, um, don't agree because 51% do, it's still almost us. It's, it's an us versus them. It's, you know, (laughs) on either side, um, there's, there's two very different perspectives that are not necessarily being heard and there could be better ways. So let me share with you the difference between consent and consensus, because this is, um, something that can often be, Um, portrayed or understood incorrectly and so let's look at that. So we'll begin with the the definition of consent-based decision making which is what is utilized within the sociocracy framework. So consent is achieved when no one in the decision making circle has a reasoned, reasoned objection to a proposal. It does not require full agreement or enthusiasm, but aims to ensure that there is no fundamental concerns that would hinder the organization from moving forward with the proposed decision. So as I said before, good enough for now, safe enough to try. The definition of consensus decision-making, however, is that it requires full agreement or consensus from all participants involved in the decision. It often involves a process of discussion and modification until every participant is fully on board with the decision. And so this, as you may have experienced, um, takes a long time or there could be one or two people within the group who vetoes um, everybody else's decision. So when it comes to consent, if there is an objection from anybody that is worked together as a group to really understand what, why the, you know, the reason, what the reasoned objection is. And then that is valuable information because that can help form a better decision in the end. And so objections versus agreement. So let's break that down. When it comes to consent, the focus is on addressing objections. If a member has a valid concern that could harm the organization or its members, the proposal is revised until there are no objections. So basically, if you come and you propose something and there's a whole lot of objections because firstly, um, there wasn't a clarity round, people don't fully understand, or it's just not actually a useful proposal, it's not going to push or Um, it's not going to help the organization meet its aims, its clear aims and its goals, then it needs to be reworked. And so any objection, even if there's one or two or half a dozen, each of those points or perspectives of, of objection, they are sort of in permaculture, we have this saying, the problem is the solution. It's like, yes, okay, these are aspects that I didn't consider as the proposer. These are blind spots that weren't um, that weren't brought forward, 
that I didn't see or maybe a group of people didn't see initially. So let's look at those and find how we can, um, you know, work those objections into something that is better for the, the overall goal. So then with consensus decision-making, the focus is actually on achieving agreement. So the difference focuses on addressing objections to focus on achieving agreement. So participants work together until every member can fully support the decision. The process may take time as participants aim to find a solution that satisfies everyone. So they are that might sound very similar because ultimately in consent decision-making, if if there is still objection but it's it's the range of tolerance is another term so a range of tolerance is i my objection is for example if the proposal is that we make a salad and it's a community salad and everybody puts in their favorite thing into the salad bowl and then we're going to have this amazing collaborative salad full of all different types of nutritional foods and that is the proposal but somebody might object to that proposal because they might have an allergy to broccoli and or broccoli however you say it and it the range of tolerance for that person is if I eat this salad with broccoli in it, I will die. So that is an objection that as a group who cares about everybody, because the aim is to provide a nutritional nourishing salad that improves the health of the group, that um, reaction or that um, capacity to not eat Uh, broccoli on that person's behalf is life-threatening then it's not meeting the aim so then the proposal could be formed that we make a salad based on the approved ingredients that um, exclude uh, broccoli so that you know when it comes to consensus it might be a very similar way of everyone coming to the solution but it it can quite often not have the rounds for clarification and the process that enables each person to put forward their questions and their objections and their reasoning in a very um, functional and um, uh, processed way that allows for the meeting to to get to these um, the understandings and perspectives quickly. And so, yeah, it's addressing objections straight away as opposed to does everybody agree to this? And then that leads into speed and efficiency. <laughs> so <laughs> with consent-based, we're looking, it's it's designed, the process is designed to be more efficient as decisions move forward as long as there are no reasoned objections. And this allows organisations to make decisions quickly and adapt to the changing circumstances. So when it comes to consensus, it can be very time-consuming as it requires reaching an agreement that satisfies all participants. Achieving consensus may involve extended discussions and iterations. When it comes to the topic of a level of agreement with consent-based decision-making, it does not require unanimous agreement. The decision proceeds if there are no valid objections. Even if 
some members do not fully support the proposal. Whereas with consensus, it requires an unanimous agreement. If any member disagrees, further discussion and modifications are made until everybody is in full agreement. So for, you know, going back to the broccoli and the salad, you it could be the salad is made, but the person, the, the one and only person within the group who is allergic to broccoli, they might make the big salad and then add the um, when it comes to operations and how it's done, the group might decide, well, everybody else loves broccoli and actually adds a lot of value to nutrition. So how about we make the come um, the salad with everyone's combinations and then serve it to the person who has the allergy and then we add the broccoli so everybody else can eat it, which means there is an objection from one person about the broccoli, but the 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 salad is made. The direction, the the ultimate um, <laughs> decision is made to make it with um, so that everybody can eat it and include everybody's favorite things. Um, and the way that it's produced is just done a little bit differently, so that um, the one person with objection is. Um, can safely eat it too. So I hope that makes sense for everybody. And then when it comes to power distribution with consent-based, it, it distributes decision-making power more evenly among members, preventing a single individual or a small group from blocking um, a decision without a valid objection. So once again, you can't just say no, not no, I'm not agreeing to it. You have to have a reason. You have to explain yourself and give an actual reason why it would not meet the goal or the aim. And then when it comes to consensus with power distribution, it may result in a power dynamic where a single individual or a small group can block a decision. And just consensus was very, um, very often used. And so this was actually, this is one of the pain points that has come out of consensus is that power dynamic and that, you know, that one person that's vetoing and not really giving very valid reasons why and wasting a lot of time in meetings because some people actually enjoy the power play. They, you know, it brings out certain characters within a group of people who like to have the end say. <laughs> um, and so that's a very favorable part of consent decision making is that it distributes the power. Um, so people can't block a decision without that valid objection. And then um, the adoption adoption in hierarchical structures. So this all sounds like a great idea and you, maybe you can see how this could be valuable in working within your family or your business or organisation that you're involved in. But is this actually applicable to those big organisations that, you know, have that pyramid top-down approach where the little people don't get talked to the so-called big people and so um, when it comes to consent base it can be applied in various organizational structures including hierarchical ones um, but it is a reconfiguring so circles with defined domains of authority operate with consent decision making so um, yeah just to be clear there's not there, there is still hierarchy 
not in the um, triangle sort of um, um, structure, but I'll explain in a little bit about the design of the organisational structure, but I'll just make a note here is that within a circle or a domain is basically equivalent to a department. And so that department is now shaped as a circle because you're having these circular meetings and there's equality within everybody who is part of that particular department working for the goals that are um, refined or defined as the the um, either the products or the services or the reason why this department and group are together. And so within that circle, there are two representatives um, or they're called double links and those people are actually elected by the people within their own circle or domain. Um, it's not coming from any other, you know, HR or a different organisation. The people who represent that circle are actually um, elected by that circle and they can change. They could have terms um, to share that skill learning and also just to keep it even more equal um, throughout the year, you might take on that role of that double link which means you would attend meetings of the circle, the main circle, which is like the the board um, or the steering committee to pass information back and forth that's relevant to decisions being made about your circle. So generally that might be the operations leader. Um, with consensus and the hierarchical structures is that it is often associated with non-hierarchical and consensus-orientated organisations and structures because it may face challenges in a hierarchical setting where power dynamics are more rigid. Um, it takes a long time to have consensus-based meetings, so they're quite often not um, compatible with... Um, <laughs> within situations where decisions are needed to be made more quickly and efficiently. I hope that makes a whole lot of sense for you. Please reach out if you need more clarity. And, and just to summarise that, Consent is that you have no reasoned or paramount objections to the proposal in achieving the group aims. That Objections are actually encouraged and they help achieve the most effective policy or outcome um, or decision. Um, objections are actually not vetoed as though as meaning that they don't stop the process or outcome, but they they are considered and welcomed. And the majority, you know, all the people within the group have to take on the responsibility of addressing that objection together. Uh, proposals and policies always have a time frame for which they are relevant, which means it's kind of the feedback aspect where they will be revisited to see if they are still relevant or if tweaks or changes need to be made. Um, and that concept of range of tolerance that I spoke of before, safe enough for now, good enough to try and range of tolerance are all ways to move an objection forward into I guess consent not a guess it's actual consent so 
for example, bringing it back to the salad and the broccoli, someone may initially object and if their objection isn't the isn't brought forward in the sense of I have a really I have a life-threatening allergy to um, broccoli and their objection or reasoning for their objection is actually I just don't like the taste of broccoli then their range of tolerance is actually very different from the person who has a life-threatening reaction to it. So the group could say, okay, well, we hear your objection or the facilitator would would address it and say, um, would would you consent if we made the salad and you could move the broccoli to the side or perhaps give that to somebody else who loves broccoli um, and that may even result in somebody who loves broccoli swapping that person with their favourite tomato so they have extra tomato. You know, these things can evolve from this kind of consideration. Um, Yeah, good enough for now, safe enough to try. These are tools that enable uh, objection with a range of tolerance of yeah okay I can see how as a group everybody else is all for the broccoli I'm the only one as part of this collective it's safe enough to try and time is a tool so time is a tool to try and to give it a go for possible actions towards the goal with the time term meaning if the objection is, um, I think there's a better way, but I don't actually have the idea and I, I, in in my body I feel intuitively, I feel like this isn't the best way that we could do it, but I haven't actually got a solution as to how we could do it. It could be I will consent to this if we can put it in term for one month and I will do my personal research and bring a better idea or better proposal um, to the group for this particular thing. But yes, for now, I will consent. Um, My objection was only based on this being forever. So a one-month term works for me. I hope that gives some insight into how consent is a valuable part or element of working in a sociocratic group. So Let's get to the process. If you were sitting around a table with all of the amazing people within your group, you work within rounds for the meeting. And of course, there's things like the agenda that people are aware of before they come, or maybe it's expressed at the beginning of the meeting. And there's a round that allows everybody to consent to that agenda. So for example, if there's 20 things on the agenda that were put forward and there's only an hour long meeting, there might be a process, a dynamic process in uh, prioritizing what those agenda items are going to be because somebody might bring forth the, the, um, the information that if, five to ten minutes is spent on each of those agenda items, the meeting is going to go for four hours. So this enables the group to actually find, you know, issues within the agenda to start with or to add things that might have been forgotten and just generally to inform everybody what they're going to be sitting around doing for the next hour. It's just... um, general courtesy to um, have uh, an intention and a 
clear goal or understanding on why people are together for that particular meeting. And with the beginning of every sociocratic meeting, there is an opportunity called of check-ins. It's called doing a check-in and it just allows everybody to meet heart to heart as humans in the space. Okay, we're all here beyond the the project or the business or the um, organization goal. We are actually real humans that have taken time to show up and be here together. And so it's a way to just share briefly how somebody is you know, how they are, because if somebody's dog just died, that's a really valuable thing to know within your group um, to offer empathy and understanding if that person is expressing uh, a different, expressing themselves differently within that meeting. Or if somebody within the group has something to celebrate, then as a group, you have that opportunity to celebrate with them. And it just brings the humanness and the, you know, deepening of relationship into working with each other well. And so beyond the check-ins, then you would get into the items of the agenda. And so we've got, um, we've got the group that might be full of people who are the operations that are actually making the products or providing the services or whatever it may be, which is clear to the the aim and the intention or the goal of what that department or that circle is. And you have a secretary who keeps the notes for the logbook. So the logbook is also an element which records all of the decisions and the agenda and everything that's that transparent aspect where everybody within that circle or the organization as a whole, the other circles or groups of departments can actually access and see what decisions are being made within those within this group and you can reflect and go back to it so um, it's not forgotten in the past it's something live and real that you can you know access at any time because quite often um, decisions are forgotten and they might be revisited again which is a waste of time um, okay, so that's one aspect is the secretary. Then there's also the, the role of the facilitator, which is the person who is responsible for keeping the meeting on track, keeping things in um, the agenda, the timing, and um, sometimes just in you know the the training of the group. If somebody is speaking over somebody else or um, making offering an objection with no reason, then the facilitator is um, within their role description. That is part of their responsibility is to keep the meeting on track and to bring these things to light. Um, And then, as I spoke of before, we have these double links. So we have a delegate within that group who is elected by the group who brings the voice from this particular circle or department to the main circle or to the board when they have specific meetings that require either information regarding that department or circle um, or decisions that they, you know, changes or things that they want that particular department or circle to achieve or do, that delegate delegate has a voice at that table and is involved in that conversation decision-making. And they come back to um, their circle domain and they share that information. 
Um, but what's important here is also the double length. And so to keep things transparent and um, equal so that there's just not one level of power that's feeding information between the, the board or the main circle and into the um, the new the sub department or the circle, they you know that one person could perhaps miss information or um, you know it's a lot of power for them to hold. So this double linking basically puts another person that sits in circle with the that comes from the board who is the operations who is elected by the board as the operations leader for the um, the circle or the the department, the secondary department. So essentially there's two people that attend those meetings with the board and also attend the meetings with the subcircle. For example, you might have the board and then you might have a um, an events group, an events department that their goal is to um, to organize events, um, dress the venue and um, create um, create events that are educational and on topic of herbalism and health for the wider community. And uh, you know their that's their aim. And so their goals are to put on uh, one event per month and to ensure that it um, is accessible to everybody but covers the cost as in the budget needs to be self-sustaining. So those are some of the goals. And so there is the delegate from the group and the operations leader or operations person, however you want to name or use the term, of the events group that are elected by that particular group who go to the main um, the board meetings as well when when required. So I hope that makes sense. And that kind of that's the 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 design in the organizational structure that allows for clear communication coming in and out of the main or the higher group. If you know the board, if you're looking at a pyramid structure, it just levels the playing field because everybody has um, access to the information. Okay, so the facilitator or the proposer presents the proposals or the challenge or the idea that they want to collaborate with the group and do things like it's called picture forming. So they want to take that ball of yarn and they're going to, as a group, go in rounds and unravel it and then put it back together into something useful. So the facilitator knows the most about the proposal and holds space for the meeting, ultimately keeping the process going. They are responsible for explaining the process to the group so everyone understands it and is willing and agrees to participate. They ensure the group is aligned with their collective aims and project goals. So that may be communicated right at the very beginning. Let's just do a reminder why we're here. What is our goal? You know, what is our aim as the events group? What is our intention and goals? What are we going to do? What did we agree to at the beginning of the year and how are we um making that happen and then ensuring everyone either question well everyone questions responds and decides in order so in the circle order so that nobody is interrupted 
then the secretary or the scribe takes notes at each round um, of each person's input from questions, responses, consent, and final outcomes. So if you could imagine, this is done really in a very structured way. You've got meeting notes, there's, um, it's professional. There's also, um, you know, there's forest schools that are utilising this within their organisational structure, but also kids. They're teaching it to kids in terms of them organising their play and what they want to do and how they relate to each other. And that's, you know, there's the the circle process might be a little bit more loose in that sense when they're hanging upside down and, um, you know, having these conversations while moving their bodies around and in the playground. But what it is doing is allowing them to um, to picture form, to find a solution, collaborate together, to unravel it, and to listen to each person's perspective. And so, the you know the forest school or the um, teacher educator facilitator might just help them to ensure that the quiet ones actually have something to say, and the one that's speaking the most takes their turn until they become an intern group. So when it comes to rounds and carrying out the meeting process, there are various, not various, there's a, a, a pattern in which the rounds are carried out. And you there's different options out there. So I have I did the training with Sociocracy Consulting Group. And if you could imagine that was done through an online portal, we're zooming in with people all around the world. We've got an active logbook that we are typing into that everybody can see because it's a live document at the same time. Um, so we're seeing, we're going, we're doing rounds and we're carrying out the process in that way. So that's one way that I learned it. But I also read other books. So I will put the names of these books into the show notes. And I found them to have their own little different ways of doing it. Um, but essentially, I've, We the People, Consenting to a Deeper Democracy by John Buck and Sharon Villeneuve. I hope I said her name right. I found that really valuable, as well as Many Voices, One Song, Shared Power with Sociocracy, and that's written by the Sociocracy for All organization that provide a lot of um, open source free printouts, tools and resources for people to get started. Um, and then beyond that, um, there's just some really amazing books um, that don't necessarily use the context or the, the wording of sociocracy, but it's very much embedded in their their way of holding um, meetings and circles and things like that. So um, People and Permaculture, Designing Personal, Collective and Planetary Wellbeing by Luby McNamara, another really amazing book. Um, and she's also got a second one called Cultural Emergence, which is a toolkit for transforming ourselves in the world, again by Luby McNamara. There's the Powerment Manual, which is a guide for collaborative groups by Starhawk, both of those women are incredible permaculture elders who have taught PDCs and have sort of, um, like Robin Clayfield, gone into developing the social side of permaculture, these invisible f- structures but with these designs. And, you know, you could apply those 12 permaculture principles and they're embedded into sociocracy. 
um, which I know we're already like an hour into, but I could break that down even more. Maybe I'll put that in another episode. Um, And then the latest book I'm reading is Creating a Life Together, Practical Tools to Grow Eco-Villages and Intentional Communities by Diana Leaf Christian, uh, which was a lovely gift that I got at Christmas time. And that, you know, she really was a facilitator for consensus decision-making and came across sociocracy. And that is something that as a consultant, Diana um, encourages and trains now um, people starting up eco-villages or intentional communities to use as their governance system. So I just find these things really, really interesting. Um There's also, so let's just go back to the rounds. The reason why I just shared those books with you is because there's variations on how you might do it and you'd find the one that works, um, you know, in an organic and a natural way for your group. But essentially round one after the proposal is um, presented, I mentioned before, is the clarifying question round. So in turn, each person asks a question if needed or they can pass. Um, and then there's that those questions are recorded and then answered by the either facilitator or the proposer. And maybe in that particular instance if there's a lot of questions that actually can't be answered then that is information that is that's telling the proposer that they actually don't have a very rounded um, offering or proposal to put forward because they're not really clued into all of the different aspects and elements of what they're proposing so they may then put into the agenda to present the proposal at the next meeting so that they can do research on those questions, clarifying questions that initiated that first, were initiated in that first round. Um, so once everybody's, the clarification has happened, round two begins, which is the reaction and response round. So without anybody offering consent or objection at this time, this is when as a group in turn, people offer their thoughts, their feelings, their ideas, their reasoning, um, etc. And then from, so that, that kind of um, gives an insight for through the different perspectives that are shared offering um you know like what what's how do people actually feeling like what's the energy of this particular idea where is this leading you know um it just kind of um fleshes out the proposal um and at this point as well from round two with these reactions and responses um the facilitator might then decide to throw in another clarifying question round. So this is what I mean by the fact that there is um, there's a little bit of flexibility in it. The pattern is that there is um, rounds and that clarifying questions is really important um, before any decisions are being made. So um, if it's pretty clear, like if it's a basic proposal or a basic decision that needs to be made it might not require a whole lot of clarification it might be quite simple might happen within one minute but if it's like a whole new idea or if it's a problem that requires the group to sort of solve together then this is 
you know, the operations leader might be saying like, this is what we've been dealing with. This is the problem that has occurred. I'm putting forward this proposal based on my skill set because I've been, you know, that person's operations leader because they've been there for the longer. They have more skill. You know, there's some reason why they have been um, elected in a sociocratic way by the group to carry out that role. So they might put forward the proposal and everybody else is, you know, now um, working through clarifying if all elements of this proposal has been thought of or if it's just been a knee-jerk idea that's come forward and needs some um, fine-tuning or um, polishing to get, you know, to see the shiny crystal underneath to, to get to, to the, um, the treasure. And so if they're after round two of reactions and responses, round three is the consent and objections round if there was no need for for clarification. So basically you're not going to go into the round for consent and objection until the whole group expresses that they have no further clarifying questions. Everyone's now informed enough through the previous rounds to have their answers question, their questions answered, and to have been able, had the opportunity to express their ideas and um, feelings and ideas and reasoning around it. So, this round three consent and objections are the question is asked Are there any reasoned objections as opposed to? Do, do you consent? So instead of going from one person to the next asking, do you agree to this and giving your reasons why, because the goal is to make an efficient <laughs> meeting, um, the question is, are, and are there any reasoned objections? And if there isn't, and nobody has any concern or reasons, um, then basically the proposal is approved because everyone obviously consents. Um, if there are objections, then that is those are expressed again in the round, in circle, in turn, and it's an opportunity for then the proposal to be modified to ensure that those aspects um, are worked through. And so that part there might take a little bit longer, the proposal will um, may have to, um, again, do more research and come back with those answers. And so I hope you're getting the idea that a proposal may not actually be approved or decision not may not be made within that time frame of the agenda of that meeting. And some people might find that annoying. However, what it's doing is it's ensuring that the decision or the proposal is actually going to be very sound in its um, formation and, you know, its outcome so that there's no need to, there's no mistakes are going to be made. There's no problems that are going to occur in the future because um, concerns were ignored and the I told you so <laughs> aspect might not come into it. So, um, and when I say modified proposal or policy, policy basically is like the decision recorded on um, on ways that um, operations is carried out and proposal is more around ideas. So you might take a proposal or an idea to start um, 
a proposal to um, organise a winter solstice event for this particular subcircle, which is the events domain or the events department. And so that's the proposal and that might be worked through and agreed to, but then policy will form from that and that probably will happen in the following meeting where um, decisions need to be made around how that is done. So, uh, and then, of course, within the end of the rounds and each of those agenda items that are um, addressed through the round system, then time is up and the meeting is coming to a close. So that is when checkouts, the which is designed into this meeting, is everybody has an opportunity to offer and is is um, expected to participate and offer feedback. So a checkout of how they're feeling now after they have been present within the meeting and what they... Um, uh, some advice or feedback of how the meeting could have been better and you know it's always good to use a um oh, what's that term like a, a feedback sandwich where it's you know something positive something a little bit you know like constructive criticism and then you know the enclosing it into a slice of something positive again if that's possible um it is also a skill to be able to give um constructive feedback which is um one of those self-development and group development aspects uh that is that evolves within this kind of sociocratic process so that basically sums up how you would run a sociocratic meeting and I just want to leave that where it is because I did promise or I did say at the beginning of this episode that I would explain some of the dynamic decision-making processes and give you an idea of the schedule and behind the scenes of, of how that was, how it's delivered because, um, you know, it's not very fun to teach this heady kind of content and talk about it being dynamic if you're not actually incorporating some of those tools and techniques so um, as far as the schedule and how I presented it um, we started the day with getting into our bodies and everybody sharing their name and using what's called an icebreaker where we do a stretch and everybody else says your name and the stretch that you present to the group so we can warm up our bodies and just really call ourselves into the space and that is where I get to explain the overview of sociocracy. And then we use, I used a process called or a tool called a sociogram, which is a way of getting people to space out or stand in a certain area that's um, dedicated to in the garden, basically, to get an idea of knowing each other's mode of operation within Edward de Bono's six hats. So what I did was I had the colourful hats, six of them, and I put them in different areas of the garden within the circle or the grass, grassy area, and I asked people to go and stand beside the coloured hat that represents, that they feel represents their um, their mode of operation. So, for example, 
the white hat is for people who like data and information. So they often like clarifying questions to gain the facts from a situation. So those people, we're all standing up, those people walked over to that hat and that whole group, instead of filling out a survey or asking people to raise their hands or whatever, you know, the old boring stuff or way of engaging, it's the associogram is people moving to a place that represents a certain answer. So then the red hat is for people who are feelings and emotional person. So they go with their gut reaction or statements on emotional feeling and intuition. So people would were invited to walk over and stand beside the red hat. And at any stage, people could move to a different hat based on new information that they're learning as I'm explaining the different hats. So for a black hat person, you are generally a cautious person and you like to judge situations by applying logic to identify the flaws and the barriers. So person who may have been at the white hat has the opportunity to go actually that's more me so they walk over to the black hat so I'll go through the rest of them we've got the yellow hat which means if you you, you're the person who sees the silver lining and things and you identify the benefits and you're always seeking the good points that are on offer the green hat is if you're a creative thinker and you like generating new ideas and investigating and seeing where your thought might lead And then the blue hat is if you're all about process and control. So um, you are a person who likes thinking about thinking and um, how to make decisions and summarizing and conclusions and reviews. So as you can imagine, the value of understanding those different colored hats show the different perspectives of people that exist within your group. And you can get an idea, a spatial idea of Um, well, we actually only had one person within the group who based decisions on emotion at the red hat. And we had quite a few people who were blue hat people who actually like process and thinking about thinking, which makes sense as to why they would show up to this particular workshop. Um, But it goes to show that if you have a group of people and everybody are standing at the yellow hat and all they do is, um, think of the, you know, look at the silver lining and are always seeking out the good points, then that could be troublesome because you do need for a, a balanced perspective, you do need people who are maybe the black hat who are more cautious and are going to also bring the perspective of identifying flaws or barriers. It's not always sunshines and rainbows. There's also a a valued perspective of um, looking at what could go wrong. And so I'm saying all of this because it's a great way to understand each other in a very visual way, but it also ties back to the sociocratic method and how each of these different perspectives I feel is built into, is designed into the framework of using of sociocracy in terms of the rounds, inviting those different perspectives forward, but also, you know, we have an intention for a clarifying question round. We have a round for sharing, expressing emotions and feelings and Um, We have the option, we have the round of consenting and, you know, or of the black hat allowing judgments, you know, the objections are going to be based on, um, of seen, uh, of 
flaws or barriers or issues. So, and then the the creative thinker, you know, like all of these different aspects are actually embedded within the the framework or the process. So, it's a great way to um, nut out or to get an understanding of this at the very beginning. And then if you jump onto our Instagram page, you will see the mandala that we used, which had our, we created a mandala with the different um, cards, which are actually tools. These processes that I'm speaking about now, for example, there was a card that said mandala work. There was a card that said Edward de Bono, six thinking hats and group agreements so these things they all come from an incredible um tool set by robin clayfield called dynamic decision making and their prompts and cards that explain and give you um uh, 52 different options of you know facilitation tools so that created a circle and we had um elements of earth, air, fire, and water that we put in the four directions and a space in the center for us to workshop what our values are and what our group agreements in terms of how we want to relate, which account, which offers accountability um, to, you know, working with the group. So if somebody is actually doing something that isn't in agreement to how we all work together, like um, an example is one person talking at a time, active listening, um, in, um, speaking with compassion, um, integrity and speaking from truth, using I statements and nonviolent communication. So these are all different group agreements in which we did a circle and a, um, around that allowed everybody to actually what we did was slips of paper, which is another tool where everyone got to write down what a group, what they would like the group to be able to provide for them and what they're willing to contribute. And so that was then placed into the middle and we all stood around it and could read. And then we offered an opportunity if anybody wanted to object to those group agreements and it was a really quick and engaging way to get clear on what our needs are, what we're willing to contribute to the group and how we work together as a group. And that, yeah, again, the accountability is there because if anybody is not actually doing it, we can come back to, hey, this is this is this is our group. This is our how we how we create a safe environment and an effective, transparent um, environment with each other. So, yeah, the mandala work was one aspect. The slips of paper was another dynamic decision-making tool. Um, and then I had like a whole lot of cards and visuals that we could pass around. And I had puzzles which broke up different elements of what I've explained today in terms of um good enough for now, range of tolerance, safe enough to try. So they it was just represented represented as a puzzle that could be picked up and read and shared by everybody so that it wasn't just something projected on the wall. It was um, visual prompts that people can hold in their hand. Um, we did things like hot potatoes where everyone could, instead of doing circle work, you could just kind of yell out ideas and brainstorm, which is a little bit more chaotic and um, more a bit more freedom in expression. And, and then we, we completed it with uh, appreciative inquiry, which was a way where 
um, instead of offering a proposal, we're offering a challenge. So you can do this within a group. It's even utilized for um, healing situations or if you, you know, within a family setting where you can put forward um, what your problem or your challenge is and then allow each person to offer their experiences in that, their ideas that come forward and just help you, you know, bring in their perspectives of, um, of first of all, active listening so everybody else can also learn from what each person is saying um, and, and then to sort of map out um, the solutions going forward as well. So, the yeah, the ideas that come forward and um, it's just a really, um, it's a tool that fosters a constructive and optimistic atmosphere that is helpful. So basically you're not going into into negativity. The, the challenge is presented instead of a proposal and um, People in the circle are, are, are invited to share like a vibrant, a vibrant and optimistic story that relates to the challenge, perhaps grounded examples of um, successes or solutions that they've had. Um, they have an opportunity to ask key positive questions for clarification and you can utilise a talking stick as well in each of these rounds um, just to sort of anchor in that practice of um the person who is the speaker and, and who's listening. And then dotocracy is one of my favorites um, where you have, you put down all of the different options and ideas to prioritize. So for example, um, we had maybe 10 different options that were presented as solutions and we wrote them up on the board and then each person had a pen and they could put um three dots onto the top three solutions that they feel would be the best things to implement in terms of the next steps going forward and by everybody putting their three dots what that pattern formed and showed is that um the ones the options that had the most dots were the ones that were prioritized the most and it's just a super creative and quick way of coming to a decision and prioritizing anything so that is really an example of how dynamic decision making tools can be brought into um, this kind of sociocratic space and facilitating anything that you do and of course we finished in a closing circle which everyone um, comes back to that heart to heart um, expression of how they're feeling and what their takeaways are and again the feedback so uh, I hope you can see that the meeting process of check-ins um, picture forming rounds clarification objections um, listening and checkouts and you know like the 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 opening and the closing really have a framework that really holds um, the space, the people and the process. And um, it's fun. Meeting and working with people can be really fun. Um, I'm going to finish today with um, another couple of books, which I think are super valuable. It's The Grounding Vision, Empowering Culture, 
how to build and sustain community together, which is a manual of participatory tools for social change facilitators, also produced by Rabina McCurdy from Earthcare Education in New Zealand. And then there's the Findhorn Foundation produced um, eco-village training document or book, um, which is part of the Gen Global Eco-Village Network. And again, if you jump onto the Elder Tree Instagram page and um, you'll be able to see some of those tools that we used in our previous fundraising event in which I utilised some of the um, Eco-Village card set which makes, you know, it's just so much work has gone into creating these um, very valuable tools that groups can just pick up and, you know, put into practice and play with them and really um, take the steps. There's a strategy of, you know, visioning and creating group agreements and doing all the foundational things before the physical elements come into place. So, before the land is purchased, everyone's actually clear on how they, you know, how they govern with each other, how they relate, how they make decisions and um, what, you know, what those decisions are, what's, you know, what are their ultimate goals and how are they going to work together and all of these invisible structures that actually can make or break um, great organisations, communities or even families. So that is my rendition of sociocracy (laughs) basics um thank you for listening in and i hope that i have the opportunity to work with you in this space um within your own organization or if you want to come and be part of ours and participate in a more playful way all right So thank you very much and look forward to sharing my next episode with you soon. Bye now. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it now with someone you know will benefit from this information. And remember, we're not just talking about change. We are cultivating it through these conversations and through the Elder Tree Patreon community. Together, we are sowing the seeds for an education center and healing sanctuary. You can unlock access to our treasure trove of wisdom via our Patreon. So you can do that in the show notes below or from our website. Please subscribe now and leave us a review. It really helps the bots share our podcast with the world. And your support ensures that this podcast and our vision can thrive. To grow them is to know them. To know them is to use them. To use them is to love them and then happily Herbs become your way of life. May you be blessed with good health and many plants.